make no mistake about it. That again, it all goes into one. Like, so if the defense gives up, you know, like let's say about the Giants game, like if you look at that and just the Giants game, uh, the first Giants game, if you look at the that eight points, you don't account for the interception for a touchdown. You don't account for the fumble that put us in position uh, that they went in and scored, right? And so. You know, and that, that doesn't mean they're, they're all like that. But again, we're a team, um, and you win as a team, you lose as a team, um, and you get up as a team. Now for a more positive note, the Michigan fight song. That's all we got. We're cutting that short. So that that is it. There is the Michigan fight song. Hey, hats off, uh, hats off to Michigan. It's been a while. They look really good, guys. What do you think last night? Did you? I know, Coach. You watched the game, uh, Bud. Uh, did you watch it? I did. I did. Welcome back, everyone. I watched all of the uh, Michigan game actually, uh, and it was it was really an interesting game because Michigan started off running the ball like crazy. They're getting like 20 yards of run in the, in the first first quarter. And it slowly got worse throughout the game until late the fourth quarter. But there was a time where it looked like Washington, they had Michigan's offense figured out. They were running two, three, sometimes all three plays of the drive and not going anywhere. But every time that Washington made a stop, Michigan's defense either answered or there was a penalty. There were some key penalties in that game that really cost Washington, but it w- I thought it was a very, very good game. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think when it, it got like, Chuck, I think it when it got to be seventeen to ten, and then Penix had that one thirty-five or forty-yard completion was called back for a penalty. That that was the big play of the game. Yep. I think that, that was huge. Yeah, that that was a killer. Here we are. We are high atop the west side of Cherry Hill in two locations at Grimley Financial, and I am remote here today. But well, we're still high atop the west side. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it for sure was a very uh, entertaining game. Uh, Michigan did have their way. I mean, let's face it. Any team that rushes for 200 yards is a uh, coach in the first quarter. I mean, that's domination. But they did adjust. Washington did make good adjustments. When it's all said and done, you're talking 443 yards. Of Michigan offense, the 301, 7.4, you know, the 5.0 you know, yards per play, 300 yards rushing, the 46, ouch, right? And how about this stat? Uh, Michigan, 8.0 yards per play. Uh, I'm sorry, rush, per, uh, yard, rush yards per attempt to 2.3. Uh, now, the reason the game was close. Look inside the box score. You always find the answer. The truth is in that box score, right? Uh, on third down efficiency, the teams combined were three for 24. They couldn't convert on third down, both of them. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you this much. Did you notice the Michigan tackling skills? Yes. Excellent. A lot, a lot of plays where they wrap someone up to be a couple yards short on third downs. 
where it looked like the guy was going to slip away, and they maybe did in the first first drive or two, but they really started exactly. to wrap those guys up nicely. I mean, they they were actually spinning around, yeah. hanging on to them, making good exactly. tackles. Yeah, they got the guy by the ankle, and you know, typically you see you know the offensive player break that hole, and like you said, several times it happened where there's the first down marker and the receivers one on one. Not only does he not outjuke the defensive player, but the defensive player makes a lean-in, one-handed tackle by by the lower extremities and holds the guy. That happened numerous times to to stop a first down. Yeah, that was um, that little number zero who's had a different last name or so. But for a little guy, he just great tackler. And there there was a play. Yeah. I don't remember if it was this number zero or not for Michigan, but. Um, it was Washington near the goal line. I think it was third, third and goal. And he came around a tackle. I think it was the right tackle. And he just dipped underneath him and it was able to get to the running back. And they really made some big tackles like that. Yeah, they that did. Otherwise, yeah. you're looking at a different ball game because you, it's all about the red zone efficiency. And when you have field yep. goals instead of touchdowns, you know, that really changes it there. Because in, in, in a sense, Washington... You know, was doing what they need to do to stay in the game. They were getting down the field. They just weren't really scoring in that red zone. They did step up on fourth down a lot and make some make some good plays there. But in the end, Michigan, I think, just tires people down the whole game. I mean, they, they they're do. just physical they, running and they just keep running. They don't stop. And then <laughs> and then they finally because I, I was getting frustrated watching the TV, going, "Why is this guy doing runs up the middle? Feels like every single play." And finally, right. late mid midway through that fourth quarter, they started doing some more play action. They started doing some, some uh, I think it was some maybe like, like pitches out to the left or right, and they started doing some more diverse plays, and that started to work really, really well for them. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, that's very well reviewed, uh, Coach. Go ahead. I don't want to hog up all the Michigan review time. Good, buddy. No, I mean the best team definitely won. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I guess you have to give Harbaugh a ton of credit there. And I didn't realize he's been a coach there for nine years. I wouldn't have guessed that long. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, so, Jim, if I got the first names right, leave it to Chuck to start to associate names to people. I think Jim <laughs> wins at Michigan. Brother John has won a world championship with the Ravens in 2000. Uh, the Ravens, I think, in – 2013. With Mr. Coach, Mr. Flacco. You're right. And the coach against him was his brother. Is that correct, Al? Now, with San Francisco? I, I, yeah, they, they, played, they played against each other. Yeah. yeah, played against each other. Right, right, right. And, the, lights and the father had won something way back, too, yeah. whatever. That's good table setting, a little, little historical perspective. And the mom now says that all of the Harbor boys can now sit at the same table. Yeah, the big boy table, and I can remember that because every yeah. Thanksgiving we had to sit at the cardboard table while the adults sat at the big table. <laughs> big, big boy table. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it's always great to see and then underscore the next day if you're fortunate enough to have a podcast. That's, that's what makes this thing so darn fun, not just doing it with you guys and, and having some, some voice out there. Uh, but you get a chance to articulate things that stood out to you, right? Tell me when uh, Brother John, if I recapitulate this, close back really, John comes up and hugs Jim uh, during the game. Yes. Actually, when he's he's called a play. 
<laughs> you you don't see that type of gesture too darn often, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a bit uncanny. And uh, I, I liked it. I, I, I'd like any time the games offer something different. Well, you know what's uh, ironic with that, Chuck? Sorry to interrupt. That when he turned good, around and saw his brother, it almost had that look. What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he had all kinds of travel uh, you know, issues to get there. And he made a supreme effort, you know. And, uh, that, hey, listen, you had the scandal. Uh, we didn't make much of that. Although we did... Uh, September week three of college football. I'm on this podcast saying, that I'm, uh, if you guys remember, I predicted that Michigan would yes, win. Yes, you did. Uh, yes, I did. And now, just keep the record fully transparent. When Michigan and Alabama played uh, in the first weekend, uh, I did publicly say I like them to win that game. Truth be told, I, I absolutely did that. Uh, so in the futures bet, I predicted Michigan would win the college uh, national championship week three. Uh, in the bet a week ago or two weeks ago, I I lost that because I would have I would have had Bama uh, and and Michigan showed me a ton against Bama and he, even more so last night. Washington is a good team. Are they a great team? No, because they lack the one element that two elements that Michigan has. They don't they can't run the ball and they don't have a formidable defense. Boy, to your point, Michigan when they line up with, with those the dark uniforms, don't they look like they got fourteen guys on defense? <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 no room. Washington was lining up on certain plays and I'm counting the defense. It looks like there's sixteen guys out there, you know, and they're so fast to the ball. You know, you, you watch the Eagles where none of the defensive guys are ever at the ball. And then you watch Michigan fly around. Uh, and it was, you know, it was also a game of adjustment. You know, they were picking up the blitz better. They were calling different plays. Their schemes were different. They're, they did a the chat point. They did, uh, Washington did shut down the run uh, for a period of 12 minutes. You know, and then they, they break it out again. Uh, but it was all said and done. Michigan's clearly the better team. Uh, hats off to Michigan. Uh, my buddy John has waited all his life for a Michigan national championship. Congratulations, Johnny boy. Uh, you know, who said how? Uh, patience to those who wait or good things to, to those who wait. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, oh, God, why did I that up? <laughs> but... But uh, it's a good thing to see. They survived the scandal. And uh, what do you think of the Washington quarterback? Um, I was just going to bring up that point. Uh, In fact, let me me go to McCarthy first. McCarthy had a so-so game, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And the big play he made when they were down inside the 10, third and 10, whatever, and he made the run like 20 yards up the middle, that changed the field position big time with that. But it reminded me with Penix. He was throwing off that back foot a lot like Mr. Hertz has been for, uh, doing lately because of the pressure. Not necessarily getting to him, but he got hit quite a bit as soon as he released the ball. He wasn't nearly as accurate as he was the week before. But uh, And then their best running back had was hurting big time, and the announcers kept saying even he's got a lot of guts coming back in. He looks like he's a half, st- half step slow to hit the hole and combination of yeah. things. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, of note that when Washington scored to make it 17 to 10, they now trail by seven still. The Husky fans started singing, Who Let the Dogs Out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I I may do that after a pick six to take the lead, something like that. I'm not sure if I cut the deficit to 17 to 10. Um, I got see 50,000 people screaming, who let the dogs out? Well, that was probably right her. before halftime when it really looked yeah, it like was. the tide was potentially starting to turn a bit in Washington's favor. Well, let, they can yeah. let the dogs out, Chuck, and then just get <laughs> let one Wolverine out, and that's the end yeah. of the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> How many dogs does it take to beat a Wolverine? <laughs> <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Clearly the line of the day right there. All right, here's a little trivia question before we uh, move on to those hapless, hopeless uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the, the last time Michigan won a national championship at I don't think Chad's eligible for this. Unless he did a lot of research, thought you want to take a shot or pass to Coach Al. I'll just throw out a year, 1980. All right, Coach Al, are you uh, in tune with this? Uh, I saw it somewhere. I'll be honest with you, I don't remember, but it's been quite a few years. Yeah, 1997. You want to take a uh, yeah. shot guess again, too? You got me. Nebraska. Oh, the Cornhuskers. And the last year of that format, before 1998, the DCS. Interesting. And when you take a look at Washington's schedule next year, when you throw the Big Ten teams in, good luck with that. So they play some of the good teams from, what is it called, the Pac-12, right? So they have Oregon, a couple of good teams. And then uh, they play um, Michigan, uh, Penn State. So I, I looked at their schedule, and I'm thinking, heck, that that could be a four-loss schedule. You know, and be careful what you wish for. Is my point? They, be, they would have been better off staying exactly where they are. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of criticism over a Pac-12 team getting in uh, with with the history of other you know conferences, division teams coming in and laying, laying an egg. Uh, but I thought they represented themselves. And, and here's the million-dollar question. Would you have substituted, now you're dealing from hindsight, would you have substituted another college team in lieu of Washington last night? Or do you think that they had it right with the, with the Final Four? I think they had a right. The only one I would substitute would have been Georgia because, you know, Florida State, we knew that was going to happen. Not to that degree, the way they got killed. But uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, Washington yeah. stepped up and beat Texas, so I was totally yeah. fine with them being there. Yeah, you know, the, the, I Texas agree. beat Bama, Washington beat Texas. It's fair. They, they, fair they definitely square. were fair, and, you know, and Bama beat Georgia. So they were definitely deserving to be where they at. Yeah. Did you harbor any notions at all last night that maybe Oregon would have given uh, Michigan a better game? Well, didn't didn't Oregon lose twice to Washington? Yes. Yes, they did. Yes. No. That solves that, right? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough, too, on that. Yeah. Well, Washington, the reason I had uh, some uh, doubts with Washington was as you watch them throughout the year, and I love college football, so I'm very close to not only the, the games, but then the box scores and stuff like that. And you knew the quarterback was elite, but they were winning 48 to 40 all season. And some of the games they came back and won, Oregon, you know, 
very nice, great under pressure. But the way the defense was allowing points throughout the season, you just wondered if they belonged in that final four. And of course, lo and behold, last night, they, you know, in, in total yards, they get beat, you know, 443 to, to 300. And any time a team rushes against you for 300 yards, you have a pretty bad defense in the final four, right? You're, you, the true and false question would be, should a team be qualified to be in the final four that can allow 300 yards rushing? I mean, who, is it Liberty? Is it Rutgers? Who is it? I, I mean, that's a lot of yards, right? So there is some merit to my point about do they qualify, but to Chad's point, uh, they beat the teams that they that they had to beat. Uh, so I think we move over now to our uh, what would you call coach pathetic? Um, how about what did what was our coach attempting to say on the radio interview this morning that we opened up the podcast with? Can you guys diagram those sentences? Tell me. Same old meant. stuff, Chuck, about when you get knocked down, you got to get up. And, I, yeah, I am pissed off that we lost five out of six. But, you know, and, and getting all it's it gives everybody, every sports writer, and the inquirers, like five sports writers, they're all writing the same thing. And it's just sad to hear. And if they think that they're going to all of a sudden shore up a defense with the two receivers at the uh, – Tampa Bay has compared to the Giants two receivers. I mean, you're talking A and B. I don't like the looks of it at all, and it's going to be very interesting, for lack of better words, to see where they stand. And this morning he was saying that, well, Brian Johnson, you know, when he was calling the offensive plays, but uh, but he said, I- I'm managing the, the team on the field and once in a while I'll scream no 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 he said I have to control that you know because the play was yeah. already called but it still comes down to that big play a couple of weeks back where Hertz and Browns were the only two that knew that they changed that play and when Gainwell was open over the middle to possibly set up a tying field goal and it makes you wonder about the how the rest of the team feels that they weren't privy to know what Hertz and Brown had in mind on that play yeah, yep, yep, yep. I hear you. Uh, well, when you dive into um, Tampa, they're they're no they're no picnic, right? I mean, they are pathetic too. I mean, they they're in a must win game Sunday and they beat Carolina nine nothing. I mean, with well, a lucky yeah. fumble out of the end zone too, easily nine seven different ball game. And Mayfield's had a reputation of being hot and cold. He has. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, as bad as the Eagles are, and we see their drop in defense over the season, which is horrible, 30th now, 25 points allowed. Um, and it's not like they moved up offensively. They're seventh in points you know, scored. Um, but when you take a look at, the last time these two teams played, I'm sorry. I, I I may have to, I may have to stamp the Eagles the lock of the year. Uh, I know that's going to shock a lot of people. I mean, how much did their Tampa was healthy? I checked the box score. They had the 2,000 yard receivers, the running back. Last time they played, I think it was week three. 
Score was 25-11, Eagles. A quick box score review. 27-12, first down. These are, all these stats are in favor of the Eagles, so I won't keep saying the Eagles, okay? First down's 27-12. That's, that's decisive. Total plays, 78-44, which, you know, that's a subset of total yards, right? 472-174. to I mean, that's well below NFL standard for the bad teams that are 300 yards per play in, in, at the line, 6.0 uh, to 4.0. Uh, yards, I mean, everything's there. Rushing, 200 yards, 41. Uh, red zone, you know, one out. The Eagles were one out of five in the red zone. Otherwise, that score would have been 50 to 11. Um, they had two interceptions. So, I mean, time of possession, 30, 38 and change to, to 20 and change, 21 and change. Swift ran 16 times for 130 yards. Um, I mean, that's Tampa rushed the ball, and they're dead last in the NFL. They rushed the ball 17 times for 41 yards for an average of 2.4. They don't run the ball well. It's the same Tampa team that played Carolina 9 nothing. I'm going to tell you guys, and they had a really soft schedule, and of that soft schedule, we're 1-5 against you know, teams better than 500. Uh, I may have to double-check my math. I believe it's 1-5. If not, Tommy will let me know. But this team stinks. Now, I know the Eagles the last five weeks of the season also stinks. You're putting two bad teams together. But I think the Eagles have a cakewalk this week. I'm not so sure about the following week. But this particular week, they are playing an atrocious Tampa Bay team that's not ranked high in anything. They don't compensate one category. Dead last in rushing the football at 80, 80 yards a game. That's pathetic. Coach, can't the Eagles just focus? On, on uh, the quarterback uh, Baker, and knowing they're going to, you know, contain their running game and just go after the quarterback, won't, won't that pretty much be the oh. plan of attack? Well, you would think so, but in the last X amount of weeks, we haven't put pressure on quarterbacks at all. And you know, you're talking about a team that what five, six games ago let Drew Locke go 92 yards down the field to win a game at Seattle, and it's a whole different thing. And there's there's a lot of things behind this that that I think are going to come out rather than every player okay. every player saying we got coaches back in this. What are they going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, now? right, yeah, right. No, nobody's right. going to say what a game to go. You know what? The coach is screwed up. The play system's horrible. He doesn't change anything. That's going to come out, but maybe a week from now. But did anything I just shared with you uh, or the metrics or, or the box score last time they played, uh, given the 9 up and struggle Sunday, Tampa, anything I just shared with you change your opinion about the Eagles' chances on Sunday? Oh, I didn't realize it was that bad. And, and the tail of the tape you gave very well, that does look like there there should be a game that they they win. And that's why they're the favorite at Tampa. So the you know the the odds makers know more than uh, we know. You know that type yeah. of thing. The, the last few times though, we kept saying the Eagles should win. Eagles should win. Now it's a different mentality with the playoffs. But you know the Eagles yep. did just come off two losses against the Giants and a loss against Arizona. 
Um, the only well, thing that's... Cons- that they won the Giants game and lost the last one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, but yep. ba- it was a bad game, though, still overall. Yep, 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 yep. The, yeah, was, just was. three bad... I'm a lot of bad games. The, yeah, plenty. The reality <laughs> of Tampa is you know, they're not a very good team. But they do have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, 2,000-yard receivers. Yep. And if we can't stop those two guys, then it it could be tough. If Baker has a game where he looks like he's on, and he's very inconsistent, but if he looks like he's on, and you have two good receivers on, on the field, then I, you know it could be tough. But I, I think the Eagles should really handle you know the business here. They should win big. But All right, can we give saying that for a while. We have, but now it's prediction time because we hold our head high when it comes to predictions. We're over 75% as a podcast. That's darn impressive, and we document it. Uh, and we don't include everything in that winning percentage. We're not putting in our Michigan futures bet that we said. Uh, we're just talking about the games. So, Bud, give us the score. Coach Al, you will too, and I'll go last. All right, 35-14, Eagles. Oh, my Lord. You, after all this, you got him destroying uh, Tampa. Okay. It did feel that way. Good, Coach. 1917 Tampa. Well, that's an odd. Oh, Tampa. I, I know. Well, it's an odd prediction, but. What do you got? Seven safeties and three field goals? No, I can't. I can't. And a partridge in a pear tree. But here's another right. thing. For my bad <laughs> my bad pun of the week, which you're used to, if this was a bowl game and you're saying both teams stink, it could be the toilet bowl. Thank you. Yeah, got it. The last time they played the Tampa punter neutralized the Eagles a little bit. He had like five punts. He averaged close to 60 yards a punt. Uh, I think he's ranked fifth in the NFL. But you wouldn't know that the last time the Eagles played Tampa. This guy, was he was the hero of the game. Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, I mean, the Eagles are struggling right now offensively. I do think they get things right. I think the mentality... I think what happened to the team's cultures after getting absolutely embarrassed by Sam Fran at home and then Dallas. I mean, let's face it, everybody knew it was pretty much a three-team conference. If you want to throw Detroit in, go ahead. I'm sticking with the fraud, and I think you'll see an early exit. Okay, so I'm I'm going to validate. Well, I did validate at one point Sam Fran, Dallas, Philadelphia. I don't know right now. That Philly deserves that that validation, that stamp. Uh, but I think the players reacting to those devastating losses, they just pretty much put their tail between their legs. I think they lost their mojo. Uh, they they knew they were in the playoffs. They knew they were in the postseason with the, with the ten to one record. Um, and I think that a lot of it is how hard they tried. Um, you know, preparation matters. Practice matters. If you're seventy five percent. Throughout the week, don't expect a good byproduct on Sunday. We know that as guys that have coached and played. I think I think the temperament, the persona, the team attitude, the vibe. I think the whole thing changes at least in this game. I'm not saying that when they play a much better team, round two, assuming everything plays out uh, according to expectations, that they won't go back into getting destroyed. But this Sunday, this game, uh, I like the Eagles um, by, uh, I want to say, 27 to um, 27-17. Philadelphia. Uh, but Al, you're sticking with Tampa Bay, huh? Yep. 
I, Interesting. I, I wouldn't have until watching them play the last five or six games. I mean, they lost me. Right. Yeah. So uh, we're 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 split uh, this week. Uh, Chad and I are backing the birds to cover rather easily, and uh, and you're backing uh, you're backing Tampa. Well, just uh, like I said, the last few weeks, we certainly thought they were going to beat the Giants. We certainly thought they were going to beat Arizona. And, you know, it's just uh, you get tired of seeing the same old thing with the same old stagnant offense. And I picked up yeah. a pr- pretty neat stat I think you'll like. We got 64 starting cornerbacks in the NFL, okay? 32 teams, two two on each. There are four Quarter, uh, cornerbacks starting in the league that are over 30 years of age and the Eagles have two of them so that yeah, shows yeah, you they have not, they have not put any preference into drafting good quarterbacks right. and it really shows in their draft choices and it looks like Carter and uh, Davis have run out of steam a little bit and, and I don't know they're not putting the pressure on and then a lot of comments about Reddick being asked to drop back in pass coverage where he looks lost, you can see some he plays. He, he almost has yeah. his hands up in the air. Who am I supposed to cover? And that's why they're not getting any pressure. So there's so many things here, Chuck, that uh, it just, yeah, I hear you. they just, just don't seem to get together. And he might've lost the locker room. Like I said before, even though guys say, Oh, the coach has our back. We have his back, that type of thing. You know, it's funny. We talk about the NFL product. Uh, the San Fran quarterback ends up being number one QBR. Uh, Hertz drops to 11 at a QBR of 60%. That, that's kind of, that's shocking. That's mind boggling to me how well he projected. And I, granted, they played an incredibly soft schedule last year. I mean, their road to the Super Bowl last year, we talked about it, uh, you know, as long as you can hear on the podcast. What a absolute tip those through the tulip schedule they had last year. The, you know, you play your schedule, we get all that, and they did that. They were fantastic, fourteen and three. And then you bring in the how the hell, how the holy hell, or the giant, the New York friggin' Giants. To take a word from Serietti there, friggin' this, friggin' that. Yep. Hey, coach, relax, okay. But how are the Giants guys in the playoffs last year? And I know their quarterback. I get that. And now Barkley wants you to be the number one player, or he wants out. You know, his four is uh, 3.9 yards per carry average this year, you know, which puts him like 30th in the NFL. What a bust he is. What a giant bust before I get sidetracked. Barkley is for the Giants. Oh, my God. Uh, but anyway, how did they make the playoffs last year? So the Eagles stroll through them. Tiptoe through the tulips. Giants, the uh, 49ers came in without a quarterback. Tiptoe through that game. Uh, and they end up in a Super Bowl against uh, an okay Kansas City team that they should have won. I don't think they proved anything last year. And now this year they play a tougher schedule and Hertz's numbers are depleted. How concerned are you guys about our quarterback? Chad, go first. I mean, he's hurt right now, so that's a concern right there. I mean, you saw what his finger was last week, so yeah, yeah very okay. concerned. Before that, the season wide. Well, it was it was really bad play, so you got to yeah. wonder how much of it is on Hurts, how much of it is on Sirianni. 
And right. is Hurts going to make adjustments in the offseason to, you know, stay an elite quarterback? Because he wasn't, he absolutely was not elite this year. There's a lot of stats out there about the Eagles starting off 10 and 1 compared to other teams that have done the same thing. And there's probably five to 10 things which they haven't done, which teams before them that were 10 and 1 at that stage of the season. Oh, Oh, geez, it sounds like we're starting to talk about our point last week and the week before on point differential. Why was that something that could forecast, foreshadow what was going to happen? Mm-hmm. When the Eagles were darn near even in point differential and they were 10 and 1, hmm. Now, what do we say about that? Things that make you go. Things that make right? you go. This, hmm. pod- this podcast, okay, was debunking the record, the Eagles 10 and 1 record because of point differential. Chad and I get into a feverish debate only about further research that says point differential is more, it it predicts, okay, champions than number one seeds, which means of all the stats known to mankind, take turnovers, take whatever you want. That defense gets the rush. You'll find nothing, okay, more explicit, more direct, more. Uh, foreshadowing then point differential, okay, as a barometer to predict future champions. Uh, and the Eagles were never good in, in, in that metric all season long. So, uh, you know, we, we said it was, it was fraudulent when they were 10 and 1. We knew they were getting out yarded in these games by 100 yards, right? We remember the Kansas City drop. We remember the step out of bounds you know, by, by Dallas and stuff like that. Dallas first and goal. You know, it, 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 it was a fluky 10-1, but it, you still play your schedule, and it was 10-1. But the, quarter, the QBR ratings, I mean, Purdy is 73. Hertz was 11-60. So I went, by the way, you know who's tied with Hertz at, at his rating, QBR at 60? Uh, Geno Smith. And the quarterback that uh, Ray likes, who's the uh, Minshew? <laughs> that's the mustache the, man. When when that's the company, when that's the class of quarterbacks that you're in, just by that alone, you, you, you can equivocate that and say, Hertz had a really bad year if that's your company, okay? Uh, but overall-wise, when I went back, I thought, okay, I'm, I've been saying that the NFL product is inferior, substandard to what it's been. And I we demonstrated that the last three weeks. We did have some pushback on that. So uh, let's start at the quarterback position. I went back and researched the last 25 years. Do you know that the top quarterbacks in the QBR were in the 80s? Okay, high 70s. This is the lowest QBR composite we've had in 25 years answer to that bud what is that i think we kind of hit on it between quarterbacks retiring the injuries that we saw this year i think those are a lot of the factors that you know we've hit on a couple times but i'm not you know changing my answer and that's what i think it is at this point how about better defenses i think we're seeing maybe different defenses now i mean Maybe they are. Maybe they are better. I don't know how the points. Necessarily, if the points are lower, then the defenses are a little better right now. But a lot of that's also saying, you know, better defense because of less quarterback play. I mean, you take you know Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers out of the league. Is the defense better or is the quarterback worse? It, they kind of go hand in hand. So right. Well, 
total points on average, 396, 2020 high. 21 was 390. 2013, okay, 375. 18, 373. And 2022, 372. And 2023, 370. So points are way down. All right. Quarterback play is way down. Record year for turnovers. Now, what do we say? What's our thesis now for that that information? Have you changed your opinion? No, not really. I'll still stick to the reasons why with the injuries this year, especially at the quarterback play. Mm. If the quarterbacks are out, you're not going to score as much. Coach, record turnover at lousy quarterback play and scoring plummeting. What's the answer? If there is one, it's not just jumping out at me, to be very honest with you. Yeah, it's a tough question, right? Yes. I, I mean, it's pretty dramatic. When you, I'm, not, I'm not just, you say, oh, you're mincing words. Are, are we equivocating that? No, no, I'm not doing that at all. What I'm saying is it's the lowest QBR in 25 years as a group composite. That's just the top guy, top five. Add them up, divide, and go do a lot of research because it doesn't use no one site that gives you that. It took me about 20 minutes, all right? And then the points are plummeting. The, the record turnovers happen for a reason, all right? On average, it's not because of the number of games, you know, the extra games. So why, on average, are teams turning the ball over more, quarterback play down, and points plummeting? You guys don't agree with me that that's a lot to do with sophisticated Schemes on defense, fast, if not bigger, faster, more athletic, better skilled, more trained defensive players, athletes, sophisticated defenses, analytics, all that specialty stuff. You don't think that's what we're saying? I mean, I'm sure that's part of it, but I think right. you, take, you take elite quarterbacks out of the picture, then that's going to happen. I mean, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers. It's, those are big factors that impact that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, but, I mean, I, I really think that's a problem with the NFL right now. So what do you guys think about the uh, Saints and, and the Browns uh, play? Um, Winston goes in uh, and and says, let's run the ball. When, when a, a coach, I think, is Dennis Allen, right, if I recall correctly, Wanted the victory formation, 41-17, whatever, and they, they run the ball and score. Uh, Bud, Coach Al, react to that. Well, I heard one of the commentators say that uh, he should be just thrown thrown out of off the team, out of the league. He's just uh, – he's had, Winston's had a lot of chances, and he's right. messed, messed up every one he's had. And to me, he just uh, – you know, he got involved with a little robbery there a few years ago. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just impeccable, too many. Impeccable character. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He's, he's like the football with Damon Green is the NBA basketball, I think. Yeah. You tell your son, watch him close, closer. Now, what's this number, son? And the son gets this number wrong. Say, now, come on, you're not paying attention. Dad said, I want you to pay attention to this guy. Oh, yeah, I got his number, Dad, whatever it is, 42, let's say. Right? Because they get 42. Now, everything he does, do opposite. 
<laughs> don't, don't, don't emulate this guy at all. <laughs> don't read what he says. You know, talk about the anti-role model. And uh, you're right. And then, but, you know, uh, uh, Chad, the Saints coach, Allen, does he have to go because his team usurped his, his uh, mandate? You know, they basically uh, laughed at him. They said, we're not going to victory formation. We're going to run a play. That's what we do here. And uh, my Lord, talk about belittling your coach. Imagine in business, you know, if there was a clear mandate and you did the exact opposite and you came in and said, well, I talked to a couple of the executives and we decided we just wanted to do it that way. That wouldn't fly grimly. How does it fly in the NFL for, for Coach Allen? Well, I think he he either has to go or they need to change enough roster spots where people aren't you know, disgruntled with him. Um, right. I, I know I didn't follow the Saints overly close this season to know why there's so much animosity going on here. But if this was the players and their way of standing up to their coach, you know, so be it. I think it's kind of blown out of proportion, the whole thing. And, you know, it's one play. I don't think anyone expected it to be this big of a deal. And uh, I don't think the Saints coach should have come out there and trashed his players like he did, too. Um, just trying to, you know, wipe himself clean with it. It is uh -huh. what it is. You know, you're a team. You win and lose as a team. The Saints certainly didn't act like it after that play with the coach saying one thing, the player saying the other. You know, and yeah, the players went against the coach, but the way their uh, coaches acted like it too, it just yeah, clearly you can see there's a lot, a lot of problems uh, in New Orleans right now with with that team and and that well, coach yeah. relationships. It, yeah, the the rudder is off, no doubt about it. Although they were two points away from two more wins, and they'd be a playoff team too. Speaking of our NFL quality, right? Uh, but I thought he was extremely forthright when he said that the Atlanta coach should have been upset and you saw the, how the uh, handshake went and all that uh, and he's got his back he said he should, I'll be upset too I mean you don't run up scores in any you know basketball or, you don't steal in baseball up nine in the eighth inning stuff like that um, yeah it, it, it was it was a pretty lousy thing to do and talk about embarrassing belittling uh, the coach and it's too bad if he loses his job over it and if all other things are in check, I agree with you. I hope he doesn't lose his job over. Would I dismiss him for that alone? No, not at all. Uh, I would not allow the player conduct uh, in the abstract to say, okay, now the coach is out, you know, because of this one malcontent play or group or whatever. Um, but, but there's a message that you, I don't think the players get together and decide on this. Uh, if there's not a disrespect for the coach, it's almost like you should go. You, you've been bad all year. The culture's bad. Uh, a lot of other things are bad. And because it stinks so much around here, we're going to do this thing on our own, like in your face. Yeah, and and too, want, like the, you know, the guy who scored the touchdown, Jamal Williams, he had 17 touchdowns last year. He led the NFL. He had none right. this year. Right. They gave him the ball on purpose so he could score a touchdown. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's really blown out of it's really, really just taken so far. But like they just, they got this guy a touchdown, you know, so we can get one for the year after coming off of seventeen. He, had, you know, this was one to get him an easy one, and you know, you compare it to baseball when you, know, you have teams that bring in their position players to pitch. I guess, I guess, the situation is don't 
be that band to get yourself in that position. Play hard to the end, whatever. I, yeah. I just I just think it's kind of uh, like, oh, w- you know, we're losing so bad, so now you just need to kneel the ball. I mean, you've got guys who are backups in there sometimes who do this stuff, and they're going to play hard. Yeah, you could have taken a knee, but they got this guy a touchdown, so I'm sure he's happy to end the season with one touchdown after coming off the season with 17. And that shows how, how yeah. fickle the NFL can be. And what it is, it comes down to the old unwritten rule. And that's basically yeah. what it's been for years and years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to side with Coach out here uh, by a lot. But I think you're respectfully missing that, you know, there's, there's a culture within the league, all leagues, and, and there are unwritten rules. And uh, and you, you play the game respectfully, and you do show sportsmanship. And that's the, the, the you know, opposite of of good sportsmanship. You don't want kids seeing that. Uh, and I do think it is a big deal. Uh, but that, you know, I respect your opinion. Uh, you water it down a little bit and I do think it's a real big deal enough to get it. The coach fired. No, but, uh, I, I, I think if other teams adopted it and all of a sudden they start doing this routine, you'd have, you'd, you'd be farcical, you know, the wheels would be off. Uh, now you'd have teams trying to embarrass other teams, by running up to score in the last seconds of the game and all, especially when they're, when when you're in the victory formation, the guys on defense aren't dug in ready for action, right? So, you know, somebody's probably more likely to get hurt on that. But we've covered well, the, that. I mean, the been, Saint, the Saints know, wanted to get this guy a touchdown, so they did. Big deal. That doesn't count. That that that, that accolade doesn't mean anything in, in, the, in the bigger scheme of things. Well, it does, so, to the, uh, does to the players. So a guy can steal base up ten runs in the ninth because you want the guy to get the forty-eight, fifty stolen bases. Still can have the team. Yeah. Well, well, I'm going to give you another example. Chuck, well, the, before you do that, okay. Coach Chad, yes or no? Is that how you played the game? I don't know. I played no. Okay, thank you. Good, good, Coach. Now uh, the uh, Sixers game, and Embiid, you know, is a little fragile here and there, but he has a pretty good record going, catching up to Jabbar and so forth. They'll never catch Chamberlain of having 30 points a game and at least 10 rebounds. So the other night they were leading by 30, and it, there's been two or three games where he sat out the whole last quarter when they were really beating some teams bad. But he had already gone down with one knee-to-knee contact. He was limping a little bit, but they kept him in that game till he got that 30th point to keep that streak going. I thought, I thought it was a disgrace. Yep. I thought it was an utter disgrace. Just as bad. Just as bad. When we're talking, there's a common ideology, a common theme, a, a mantra all year long, now all, five years long, talking about Embiid's health. I know other players get injured in the NBA. It's a tough game. But Embiid, it's, every, it's systemic. Every week, how's Embiid's knees, how's his ankles, what's hurting? You've got a guy that attributed, did, did not play, you know, ankle injury. I've seen it a million times in a box score. And a guy that's got a proclivity to miss NBA games, part of his professional duty, to continue to play in a game with a bad ankle for a scoring record average is absolutely, utterly outlandish. And it's, and I was shocked for one reason. I like this new coach a lot so far. I'm not intimate. I don't follow really close. Everybody knows that, but I think he's he's got a good a good grip on things. I'm shocked that he endorsed Embiid's minutes injured to maintain that that NBA record. 
Right. React, go ahead and react to that. Oh, I, I agree. You know, that's why I brought it up. And, and indeed, yep. now they passed the rule now because of, and it's a very good rule, I think, that you have to play at least 65 games to be eligible for to win awards in the league. And, you know, it's the thing where you, you spend $1,000 because LeBron James is coming into Philly once a year and all of a sudden he doesn't play. Things like that. So Embiid, yeah. as much as he likes that MVP title and so forth, or a scoring title, he has to play sixty-five games. And now it's ironic after that thirty-point, you know, saying in the game that he missed the next three games. So everybody was saying, "Oh, well, he got a nice Christmas vacation." Yeah, yeah. All right. Before we uh, before we exit here, another little uh, cool little trivia question because it's. Uh, Topical and sort of current versus you know eighty five years ago. Uh, Major League Baseball guys, we're talking war. We're talking best war. Two thousand five, fairly current to two thousand fourteen. Not too too long ago. Sixty uh, seven war in that stand by Albert Pujols. Right, makes total sense. Log- logical first guess. Okay. Um, again, 2005 to 2014. Do you want to take a guess? Chad, go first. Second highest war from 2005 to 2014. Uh, 67 was Albert. Uh, the next one is 60 in that span. You want to take a, a wild guess, bud? Um, Alex Rodriguez. Good guess there, Al. Coach? How many years was Utley there? Just throwing a name out. I have no idea. Well, I'm going to take that as your guess, and you're, yeah. you're entirely correct. What? Wow, nice that's guess. Imp- that's impressive. That's <laughs> impressive, guys. That's impressive and very, very lucky. Not just lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in that same time span, you got uh, Cabrera, 56. You know, I won't name all the players. Cano, you, you know, you got, you got really good players. David Wright, uh Daltry, you know, good players uh, that are all in the fifties. Uh, it's hard to accumulate war in that brief of a span. And when you take a look at how he gets there, I knew right away because I've studied Utley before. Uh, I knew right away to look at D War, and he's got years. And when you look at his best five D, now keep in mind for the listeners, a D War of one plus you know, plus one zero is really really good. There's a lot of neutral players. There's a lot of negative players. But, you know, plus 1.0 is really, really good. Always top five uh, D-War years. Two consecutive, by the way. 2-7, 3.5. Almost a major league uh, record. Uh, best in history. And 2.1 for a plus 18 overall his whole career. Uh, D war. So when you add this D war to his O war, probably grades out, you know, to a very, very good overall war. Uh, so in the years that he's not prolific offensively, he's prolific defensively with D war. And that acts as a catalyst to build the aggregate war and does actually put him in the Hall of Fame consideration. And I realize his offensive. Numbers are all packed into five years, and they're monstrous, okay? I don't know that a five-year career gets you into the Hall of Fame, but when you look at his defense for 10 years, and 
you look at other good defensive players, I mean, that's the first thing I did. Okay, I, I, I had to really just scramble to go get Trio. That's three D wars. This will shock you. Remember Utley, two seven two one two one three five two one. Manny Trio's top three D war years. One point four, okay. One one point two, uh, one point. Uh, that's unbelievable. And his overall uh, uh, D uh, war uh, way low, and his DRS defensive run save plus nine. Um, Utley in that category was a plus sixty compared to Trio plus nine. That's unbelievable when you think about it. I then did Sandberg, who's better than Trio, but nowhere near Utley. And I did Morgan. I didn't realize Morgan was a bad defensive second baseman. I thought he was very good. He has a, a minus 43 defensive run save. That's terrible. There's one guy of that genre I found, uh, and it, I said genre goes back way before Utley, that has better defensive numbers metrics than Utley, and that's Mazeroski. And he has way better. That one plus 130 defensive run save, plus 24 D-War. But how about Utley being ranked that high over all war of all the players between 2, 5, and 14? I don't know. It's pretty impressive. Did you put him in the hall? Um, I don't, I don't know. Th- I think he's a okay. border. I would love to see Utley in the Hall of Fame. I think it really is yeah. kind of a, on the border. So yeah. uh, my oh. gut says no, but I, I would love to see him in there. Well, if the committee did if the I'm committee sorry. knows if the committee knows the stats that you just threw out, it would certainly help him. <laughs> oh yeah, the guys that, are, that do this stuff for <laughs> for living for baseball, yeah, they know it. Uh, I'm plagiarizing right off their information. That now did I look up the other second bases? Yeah, of course. But did they give me out like sixty in that time frame? Yes, they did. I I was just flabbergasted. I listen. We got unbelievable debates with Askin on the radio about Utley versus Trios. I already knew all that stuff. But when I benchmarked Utley defensively against Sandberg and Morgan and Trio and then Mazeroski, I was just flabbergasted to see how much better he was in Manny Trio. I mean, I, I really was. Um, they're not even in the same breath. And yet there's a lot of people that say, oh, you got to be kidding me. Manny Trio was flashier. He had a better arm. He was flashier. And he did have a better arm. And I'm going to really screw with your heads now. He had much better range. That's when this thing starts to get a little bit, the, the scales start to turn. And you're like, wait a minute now. What, what's going on? Did the machine just say tilt? If Trio had a better arm and a better glove, and his range was 5.70 RF9 compared to Utley 4.81, talk about how things that make you go, hmm, all right. <laughs> And where's your answer? Your answer is an athletic ability, speed. No substitute for defensive zone coverage. Hear me out, listeners. If Utley is better positioned, no knock at Trio, because he's just a better aptitude for the game, not overall as a person, okay? Uh, I'll make that distinction, please. But if he's got better aptitude for the game, like Boa did, because Boa, with his height and all, 
should have nowhere near the assist records he's got, all right? Stop the pitching. We already debunked that. Utley does this on his own because he was cheating before the charts were out. And, and he told me that. We answered that direct question. And then his speed, he ran down balls in the right field foul, you know, foul line uh, with men on base. So you run that ball down, you make a catch, it's going to drop for a double, and there's bases loaded. You just credited your DRS big time, all right? They're the plays Trio didn't make. So yes, Trio was flashier, smoother, better arm, the whole bit. Doesn't compare to Utley defensively. Lastly, Utley is one of two second basemen in modern era that have back-to-back three seasons in a row with the best DRS and Ward D. It's only two two second basemen that ever did that. That that's impressive. That's the reason why I think you know to the experts that dive in like we just did there that I think Utley is going to make the Hall of Fame not this year. But he's got a good percentage of votes. I think he's going to get in. I really do. You know, this um, might sound corny, Chuck. He was like a student of the game, and I know that's yeah, easy that's to it. say. But I'm yeah. pretty sure, back in my old brain here, I think he played third base when he was in college at UCLA. So, so it's therefore, all right, there's a guy that you know didn't play second base his whole life and everything. So that makes it amazing also. Yeah, and uh, when you look at his stolen base record, I know we had, uh, I think Lopes was there for Utley. I'm not positive. I think he was. But when you look at Utley's attempts, it's like 115 stolen bases with eight thrown out. So if somebody were doing stolen base, uh, you know, uh, thesis work, they'd say, oh, by that measure, Utley was like the fifth fastest guy ever in baseball. <laughs> no. So he's just in the top, like, 10 stolen base percentage success. That aptitude, right, guys? That's aptitude. That's knowing the fractions, knowing the lead, knowing when to go, knowing when the off-speed stuff's coming in. A lot of that builds into stall-based success. We know that by now. We know that for a fact. Utley doesn't get there with that kind of unbelievable success rate because he at-rounded the catchers. He didn't outrun the catchers, you know, for, for 11 years doing that. It was an aptitude for the game, as Boa said. You know, he said, you realize how smart Utley was. You know, he positioned himself well before shifts and all that stuff, as Boa did, you know. And that, that's his career defensively. So when you weigh both his offensive five-year uh, best, you know, with his defense, I do think he's going to get in. Last comment, they, they were interviewing a player from Kansas City uh, who was working out. It was kind of cool. They were at the workout. And he was saying that the pitching machines now emulate not just 105 miles per hour. Each pitcher in Major League Baseball and what they throw percentage of time and their stuff, you put into the computer and the technology now on the pitching machine gives you that pitcher's pitching repertoire. What about that, bud? I'm sorry, I kind of lost you on, on that whole thing. Yeah, the pitching machines now mimic, okay, Wheeler. Whatever Wheeler throws, you put Wheeler into the pitching machine, and the pitching machine will deliver Wheeler's cutter or fastball. Yeah, that's really cool that, you, that they can do it, be that be that precise with it. That's yeah. really cool they can do that. So they're practicing fastballs from certain pitches, but they turn the speed up, 
right? And, and everybody was cracking up because 105? And I don't prepare you for 96, won't it? You remember when I used to feed you and Kristen 90 miles an hour in the pitching machine out back? The zip on the ball? Yeah. They, they, yeah. Were, they, were, they were hissing. These are the, how the kids are like, yo, Dad, these balls are making a noise. They're coming <laughs> like zip, zip. And uh, God, God darn if Kristen did start hitting the ball back up through the middle. I'll never forget it. Then, then Chad got it too. But Kristen was older. Uh, but that's what got her used to fastballs. So when she's playing senior year, and our, our conference was unbelievable. The, the Catholic Academy team, Nazareth, they're all state champs. They were throwing mid-60s down, but they were used to it. They sold out that, you know, and, and that's how they're able to hit it. Uh, so the, 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 the batters now are training not only against 105, but pitching machine that will give you a look of, of the pitchers in baseball. That's, that's just unbelievable. I, I found out to be, what do you think about that coach? It's a lot of data. That's, yeah. That's a lot, a lot of good practice is what it is. Right. Well, I was, uh, I was going to inter- interrupt you with Utley, but you hit it at the end, the mental part of the game with him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go rant coach. You're up. I'm going to go off the charts as I usually do. I have nothing to say about the Eagles except to say one thing, not nothing. Todd Bowles, the coach of Tampa, defensive specialist. He blitzed as much as that guy, Don Wink Martindale, did with the Giants. They're up there in the top two or three. And they didn't show me the Eagles that they could handle that blitz last week. So uh, I don't know how they're going to do that, whatever. But I'm going to go to a young man named C.J. Stroud from the Houston Texans. Uh, out of a higher state. And I'm going to tell you, I think he might be the, the coming of a super smart, talented quarterback. And I read an article on him, and he, the young man grew up, and his father, when he was 15, got sentenced to 38 years in jail. And so he grew up as the man of the house there at 15 years of age, and he just is so heady. And he he made a couple throws recently in a game I watched that were just out of sight that you don't expect a rookie to make. And he impressed the hell out of me. But just giving the kudos to him for where he's come. I like it. I'm going to give a rant to it. This is going to really brutalize everybody. I'm going to give a positive vibe out there. To the Notre Dame football team, it's going to make people literally <laughs> throw up in their mouth. I call it winning brand. Ironically, with the change in in the conferences and all that next year, a lot of the teams are playing tougher schedules because they're they're integrating, as you know, you know the, the better conferences. Okay, so you have a Pac-12 team playing some Big Ten powers. Okay, so some of the schedules, if you look at that, at Georgia, Washington. Texas, the one that they're all playing, okay, a combined weighted schedule, if you will, of the better teams from those conferences, not Notre Dame. Notre Dame still has that mostly independent schedule gone, and their toughest game, you're not going to believe this, you got to look it up, you're not going to believe this, their toughest game is Texas A&M away. They open up with Texas A&M. They win that game. And you're into the the Pittsburghs. You should see their schedule. The next two years, they didn't schedule the elite teams like they've been doing. So they played the, the Clemson's. They played uh, who else did they play? They played not Michigan, Ohio State. 
home and home. Uh, they played Clemson. Uh, obviously, USC's on there as, as it is next year. Uh, they can't stop. They can't stop Cameron Catholic, USC's defense. That's their big game. Now, they play Florida State for what they'll be worth. Those frauds, uh, the 26 seniors have decided to duck rather than play Georgia, which I'm still not over, by the way. That was a random mind that Florida State would have all their players say, instead of saying the committee got it wrong. So, yeah, we're going to play. As Georgia did, we're going to play, and we're going to show you made a mistake. For 26 of them, you think they're going to have 26 players go to the NFL? I don't think so, okay? I think there's three that are projected, right? But 26 of them bailed. Oh, my God, I just turned my beautiful little rant in it, or rave into a rant, and I find you're up. <laughs> All right, so. 12 my, and 0, Notre Dame, 12 and 0, good. I'm ranting on the Dolphins-Chiefs playoff game coming up this weekend, not on either team, but because it is going to be exclusively on Peacock. Yeah. Unless oh, you're God. in the local market, yeah. which is Fort Lauderdale and Miami. So basically 99% of the country is going uh, to have to watch this through Peacock. Now, take a breath. You have uh, Peacock. Okay, you personally have Peacock, so you're fine. We now, have it, Bob, and I still can't find it. Even though we got well, it, we well, can't find it. you have it, so it's It's there. out in the yard with yeah. all those feathers behind now, your I'm, shed. But <laughs> it's, the, it's the first NFL playoff game exclusively. Yeah being live streamed behind a play a paywall which right. um i think is absurd but peacock paid apparently 110 million dollars for the rights to broadcast one playoff game exclusively and they're picking one as good as any with the chiefs and the uh, dolphins with mahomes and the rematch of tyree kill so uh just really disappointing to see this even though they paid for it but so many people it's inconvenience people don't want to do this now they're making you pay whatever it is, six bucks a month for Peacock. Just kind of a joke that that's where it's come to nowadays. Wow, it's all but about money. That's my that's my yeah. rant. Yeah, it's all about the money, not about the yep. uh, you know the customer service aspect of just fan enjoyment, people being happy with it. Can we pass a motion real quick to end Brandon Graham from any post game interviews where he tells us it's all good, Al? I think good, he's running. I think he's running for mayor. The boys are ready, man. It's all good. You just got smoked. You trailed yeah. twenty for nothing, but it's good, man. It's yeah. all good. The boys know this. It's different us now. It's zero zero us. now. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's all good now. With boy, <laughs> the boys. It's all good. The boys are ready. And then Eskin pretends he pushes back for like thirty two seconds, and then he's kissing his bed. <laughs> it's unbelievable to hear that Monday show with Brandon Graham and that and the WIP guy and Eskin. If you want to literally get sick in your mouth, you listen to that 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 show. Uh, but anyway, so, that, so that's a wrap. How do they find us, bud? Speaking of sportspod.com, or you just text Chuck at 609-828-5569. Yeah, appreciate some of the texts this week. Good stuff. Uh, I promise we will have a week. We will address your questions. I've saved them. I didn't throw them out. And there's some good ones in there. We appreciate all the feedback. Um, and... Uh, so the Eagles do play next Monday. Yep, we'll be on. I was just about to say, we'll be on next Tuesday probably, right? Yep. Same time, same place. Richie, thank you for the great job you do putting this thing together. Best producer in the world. I know there's a lot of edits and different stuff we give you. And uh, it all comes out. I enjoy listening to it. You know, I really enjoy listening to speaking of sports. Uh, other people are commenting how much they enjoy this show. They say, you know what they're saying? You guys do keep it real. 
you've kind of cut back on the, the burden of too much stat. Uh, but most of what you say, you back up with the numbers so we can kind of frame it and better understand it. And a lot of people have said over the last six months, extremely educational, the way you explain things you do not hear on sports talk radio. That's kind of a common uh, theme, common fiber of feedback that I, that I get from uh, listeners and especially new listeners. So that's good. I think we're, uh, we're, we're hitting the objectives there. All right, Richie, you'll take us out with a song. Y'all guys, thank you very much. I'm sorry. I was remote. Good show. And, uh, uh, we're allowed to say go bird. That's not okay, everybody. Go birds. <laughs> go Drive birds. careful. It's nasty out there today, too. It is nasty out there. Be careful. God bless everybody. Have a good week, and we will see you back high and top next Tuesday. Over and out. Bye. 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 And when the band plays, hail to the chief.